set sail. We ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. I'm excited to talk with you today about new life. We're in this series launch and all of us are experiencing new life in different ways as we choose to follow Christ. If you're a guest with us, we're just so glad you're seeking God today and you're in for a powerful service. Uh, last night as we celebrated new life, we had 25 people who came forward and said, I want to make Christ and the cross the center of my life. Yeah, can we celebrate that? 25 people who chose to be baptized as a, a public sign of what's going on in their hearts. And I want to talk with you today about one of the real struggles of new life. And that is, as we start to follow Christ, after a little while, we stumble or we fall. And we deal with this kind of internal struggle between the new life and the old life. I got to talk last night with two brand new families who've just been coming since January, since we started this series. In fact, both of them had some family members getting baptized because of the way God is at work in their hearts. And this is one of the real struggles that we all encounter as we start to walk the new way of life. There are still some old life habits and old life routines that kind of lull us back. In fact, to illustrate it, I want to tell you kind of a goofy story about my family because we're living a new life in a different way. We just moved here. We moved from California. We're not from there, but we had lived there for a couple years. And if you've ever made a cross-country move, especially with young children, you know that it's a big deal emotionally to uproot from schools and, and social network and everything and come to a new state. So here we are, this new life, we're all in, we know it's God's plan for us, there's a lot of beautiful things, but if we're honest, there are moments where we wake up and we feel like things are a little foreign. It looks a little different to be driving through cornfields than to be driving through urban Bay Area of California. The weather's different, everything's a little different, and as a dad and husband, that's something I'm trying to be really sensitive and patient with, that my family is able to be real about the times that they're excited for the new life, but sometimes the old life was more familiar. Sometimes the new life is a little bit foreign, and it's kind of like, whose life am I actually living? And it's similar as you start to follow Jesus. There's days that the new life is better, but the old life is more familiar. So I want to tell you a goofy story. My son, Jack, he's eight. And in our family, we talk about how is your bucket? Is your bucket full or empty? And we're talking about emotionally, how are you doing? 
Well, as Jack was adjusting to a new school and everything, I could just tell I need to have a day with Jack and I just need to fill his emotional bucket. And so I had kind of planned out what we call a Daddy Jack day. Well, then it ended up being a snow day. It was one of my days off and I was going to pull him out of school and we were going to have this great time. Well, it was a snow day. So his sisters were home, the whole family's home, and the day's not really going as planned. And Jack and I go out to do some errands. And we got to a big box store, which I will leave anonymous, the name of the store, okay? We get to the store, and we need to go to the lawn and garden area to get some salt for our water softener. We get in the huge lawn and garden area room is completely empty, I guess, because it's winter. We find the salt, and Jack finds this little electric scooter that they had assembled but not yet put out on the floor for sale, and it works, and he starts riding it around in a circle. I'm kind of looking around, are there any employees? There's no one else in this room. And so after a while, I'm like, Jack, is there another one of those? <laughs> so we start riding these scooters around and I just decide like, I'm gonna fill my son's bucket. If a worker comes in, I'll be like, hey, we're customers, we're buying all this salt, okay? <laughs> that was my plan. Well, for 30 minutes, nobody came in. We ran the batteries out. Okay, so I took a, yeah, I, <laughs> I took a cell phone video. I just have to show you guys, and you can make fun of me because I almost crashed at the end here because I'm trying to hold the camera. So check out me and Jack on the scooters in the uh, lawn and garden department. Did you crash, Jack? There you are. Keep going. I'm gonna get you. Use your brake. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. So I almost crashed my purple scooter, but you know, it was just one of those neat things where uh, you know you ask God to help with something, and He helps with just a little thing. But it, it's all to illustrate this idea of we're living the new life here. We love it, but there's times that the old life, we have memories of it. We have familiar patterns that are no longer. And for you as you follow Christ, whether you've been following Christ for 30 years or for 30 days, there are times when the old life, the old patterns in the marriage or the old way you would handle your anger or the old way you would deal with your emotions seems more familiar. And so here's the question that we're asking today. How can you do the right thing when you've been trying and failing over and over again? What can you do when you find yourself trying? And this is so many of us in this room in this launch series. It's like, okay, I, I'm gonna finally make God the center of my marriage and get my marriage under control. Or I, I've been dealing with depression or with alcoholism or struggling with lust or with jealousy or with greed. And each of us have different areas that we've said, this is the year I'm gonna follow Christ to my fullest life. And the reality is as we start to do that, we will fail. And so we're asking today, what can you do when you're trying your hardest, but you fail? And you get up and you try again, but you fail again. We all struggle to stay on the path and keep walking in the new life. Here's another way we could ask the same question. Where do I get the power to make right choices consistently? Where do I get the power to do the right thing, not just sporadically or occasionally, but consistently? 
Because all of us can do the right thing when all the circumstances line up and it's a good day and you're in a good mood and it's just easy to do the right thing. But as we get deeper into the year, as we live real life, as we follow Christ through all the seasons of life, there are times when everything in our nature, everything in our circumstances says do the old thing and nobody's watching and how do you then get the power to do the right thing and to do it consistently? If I could answer that question for you, would you want to know the answer to that? I sure do. So I want to take you to the Word of God. God answers this question in the book of Colossians chapter 2. And here's what God says starting in verse 12. He says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And we'll explain baptized in the second half of our time. And with Christ, you were raised to new life. How were you raised to new life? Well, because you trusted the mighty power of God. And some of you are here and you haven't done that yet. And today will be the day that you trust in the mighty power of God. For those of us who have, this is us remembering, okay, I have tapped into a power that is bigger than me. How big is this power? Well, the text continues and it says, this is the power that raised Christ from the dead. And then it says, you were dead because of your sins. What does this mean? This means spiritually, your soul, your inner person, before you come to Christ, your soul is spiritually dead. That is, just like a, a dead person can't get up and start dancing, our souls, before we come to Christ, can't get up and do the right thing. But when we come to Christ, what was dead in us gets raised to life. And that's what this text teaches us. We were raised um, with Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. In other words, you were a slave to those bad patterns, bad habits, bad choices. But now, here's the good news. Then God made you alive. Your inner person that was dead in sins has been raised to life. Alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, that's referring to Satan, the fallen angels who are known as demons, and he shamed them, he shamed them publicly by victory over them on the cross. Where do you find power to do the right thing and to do it consistently? Here's the answer. The cross provides the power to live a new life and to live it consistently. The cross provides the power to live a new life, and to live it, not just in the good times, but in the bad times, in the medium times, in all the times. The cross is the power, not our willpower. We use our willpower to tap into the cross and to reconnect to the cross, but the real muscle, the real strength is in the power of the cross. You see, the Christian life is not about trying to be good in your own power. It's actually about claiming Christ's power. I'll say it this way. The Christian life is not about trying to be a perfect person. It's about placing your faith in a perfect person. 
The Christian life is not about you defeating sin in your own strength. It's about you believing in someone who already has defeated sin. And when we celebrate the cross, what we're celebrating is that we know a God who can raise dead things to life. And there's no marriage that he cannot raise back to life. There's no brokenness in your life that he cannot heal. And he proved this physically when a real man named Jesus of Nazareth, who was God among us, was really tortured and murdered. And when his corpse physically laid in a tomb, decomposing, and God intervened and showed, I'm a resurrection God, I'm a new life God, and I will raise that decomposing body to life. The cross is the center of history. If you zoom out at the, at the calendar, whether you believe in Jesus or not, it's the year 2018 because it's 2018 years since Jesus lived. The cross is the center of eternity and the cross can become the center of your life. So let's look at Colossians 2 verse 12, okay? First thing you see, because of the cross, the moment you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are given a new identity, you have a new life. See, you are raised to new life. What does this mean about you? This means that if you've trusted in Christ, you're no longer defined by your past. You're no longer defined by your mistakes. You're no longer defined by what other people have done to you. You know, in the introduction, we asked, where is it that you're trying to do the right thing, but you're failing? And I would invite you to even identify what is that issue. And it may change from week to week. You might just have something that this week, this is the thing you're trying to do right and you're failing. Or you might have something that's been going on for months or years. You're trying to do the right thing and you're failing. Where is that issue? And here's what we learn about this. That issue no longer defines you. I have a friend who was an alcoholic for 30 years. His whole adult life, until he was 55, he was a functioning alcoholic. He owned a business, but he, all his family and friends knew he was a functioning alcoholic. He came to Christ, and one of my favorite things when I talk with him is he says, John, I'm not an alcoholic who came to Christ. I used to be an alcoholic, but now I'm a child of God. I have a new identity. Now, does he have to be aware that that is an old pattern that he has to stay away from? Absolutely, but it no longer defines him. And this is part of when you realize, here's the thing, doing the right thing is actually who you are now. And so living the Christian life, it's not trying to be something that you're not. It's daily discovering the joy and the freedom of who you now are. Okay, our youngest daughter is adopted and we adopted her from a country that's really poor, a lot of poverty. And she hasn't been home even a year yet, but she's doing just amazingly well. I can't believe I get to be her dad. She's just the most joyful, loving, smart, strong little girl. She's gonna be an amazing woman. So yesterday, uh, my wife Mel was out with our other daughter and I was home with Jack and with our youngest Evie. And I needed to get ready for our evening service. So I don't judge me. I put on a TV show for each of them, okay? In different rooms. And they're watching TV in different rooms so I can shave and everything. And I, I go by the room that Evie's in and I see her just kind of laying there and she's got these snacks out and she's watching this show. And I had this flashback to the orphanage that she was at a year ago. And I thought, oh my goodness, her whole life 
is so different because she has a whole new identity. She has a different name. She has a, she has a different number with the government. She has an inheritance now that she didn't have before. She has a family now that she didn't have before. Everything about her surroundings and her future has changed because she has a new identity. And did you know that when you place your faith in Christ, you are adopted into the family of God? You become his son or his daughter. You are marked in the supernatural realm. You have a new name. You have a new family. You have a new eternity. You even have an inheritance. I read a true story the other day about a guy named Ben. Little Ben was born in the foothills of Tennessee. Little Ben was born uh, just over 100 years ago, and it was a time in that culture where if you were an illegitimate child, you were ostracized in the community, you were made fun of. Little Ben was the butt of everyone's jokes. Little Ben, a lot of the kids wouldn't play with him. In fact, a lot of the kids' parents said not to play with him. It was that kind of society where there were these unfair boundaries and rules, and, and little Ben was made fun of over and over again. And of course, there's a word for a child who doesn't know who his dad is, and people would call him that name. Little Ben, that was the label that was put on him, and when he would go to school at recess, the other kids wouldn't play with him. Little Ben, for a while, was homeless, and then he ended up in a Christian orphanage. Little Ben, one day, then ended up in a little country church there in the hills of Tennessee. And as he started going to this church, he was starting to hear about a God who loved him, but then one day something really, really traumatic happened. He was in the, the room and the service had let out and everyone was kind of talking and they were on their way out and some grown-up walked up to him and said, Ben, who's your dad? Whose son are you? And of course the whole room, maybe you've been in a room like this where everyone's kind of talking, but all of a sudden it gets quiet and everyone looks at one conversation. And everyone's wondering, what is this little illegitimate child going to say to this grown-up who said, whose son are you? And that's when a godly man stepped forward, walked up to Ben and put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, I know whose son you are. Why, I can see the family resemblance. Ben, you are a child of God. And Ben, you have quite an inheritance, so go out there and live up to it. Later on in his adult life, Ben Hooper would say that that was the day that he was elected as the governor of Tennessee. He said, that was the day that changed the trajectory and the course of my life because it changed my identity. And he lived the rest of his life learning every day that he was not a bastard. He was not an illegitimate child. He was not any label that anyone had put on him or anything that anyone had done to him. He was a child of God. And he grew as a follower of Christ and he became a powerful force for good there in the state of Tennessee. When you trust in Christ because of the power of the cross, it changes your identity we also see in this verse that the cross is the center of our belief. It's because you've trusted in the mighty power of God, you've believed, you've reached out in faith, and by the way, your faith doesn't have to be perfect as long as the object of your faith is perfect. 
You don't have to have an unwavering faith. You just need to have faith in an unwavering object. I was talking with a, a guy about my age the other day. He said, I, I, wanna, I wanna do this Jesus stuff, but I feel like my faith, some days I believe, some days I don't. I said, hey, I'm in the same boat with you. I have plenty of moments and I've had plenty of moments in my life where my faith has wavered, but the object of my faith has never wavered. The object of my faith has never let me down. And the cross, the power of the cross is the center of what we believe. Christianity is a, a set of beliefs that correspond with reality, physically and supernaturally. And the center of our beliefs, or if you want to use the word theology, the center of it all is the cross, the power of the cross, that we serve a God who raises dead things to life. And that's the third thing we see in this same verse. The cross is the center of the power. And so when you lack the power to pull yourself out of depression, when you lack the power to restore your marriage, when you lack the power to walk in newness of life, you go back to the cross because that's where God showed his mighty power and that he can raise any dead thing to life. So what are we learning? We're learning that the cross provides our identity, it provides our belief, and it provides our power for not just a religious life or a life of trying harder, but for a supernatural life. And this is the difference between Christianity and any other philosophy, including the other world religions. Every other philosophy says, work harder, do more, improve yourself. And Jesus says, I'm the power. Believe in me. Employ all of your willpower and energy to have faith in me and I'm the one who will change you from the inside out. The cross is the center of who we are, of what we believe, and it's why we can live a new life. So make the cross the centerpiece in your struggle to live a new life. You could put it this way. We celebrate the cross by claiming its power over our daily struggles. We celebrate the cross by claiming its power in the very gritty, raw, real, salt, tear-filled moments of our own struggles. And so earlier when we said, where is it that you want to do the right thing but you can't? Or you've been trying and failing. Right now it's the cross that you connect the cross to that area of your life. And every day when you make a mistake, it's not a failure. It's an opportunity to look back to the cross. You know, when little kids are learning to walk, of course, they start off crawling. And when they first start walking, they fall all the time. And God knew this, so he made them really little <laughs> so they don't fall very far. And he made their bones like rubbery, you know. And so when it's just normal for them to fall. And when a little, little toddler or one who's starting to walk falls, we don't all say, oh, goodness, how could you have fallen? We kind of laugh and we chuckle and we pick them up. And it's exactly the same in your Christian life. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. It's not a big deal. The big deal is if you stay down. You're going to fall. And here's the thing. You've got a dad who loves you. And so when you fall, what you do is you reach up for him. Or you cry out to him. And he picks you up. And you get going again. And just like how we physically learn to walk as you walk with Jesus in newness of life. You will have, your, your spiritual leg muscles will start to grow. 
And you'll, you'll spend more time walking in the new life and less time down on the ground. But you know what? You're still going to fall. You'll just fall a little bit less. And what will happen is as you call out to God every time you fall is an opportunity. And you say, Jesus, I can't do it in my strength, but you can. Lift me back up. Jesus, the old way of life is so familiar. I don't know if I can get out of that rut in my habits or in my thinking, but I know you can give me the strength. Help pick me up. Get me back on my feet spiritually. Help me walk this new life. As you do that, he strengthens your leg muscles. And before you know it, it might be months or it might be years, but you look back and you'll realize I'm a totally different and better person. I'm a better version of myself. I don't think the way I used to think. The things that used to enslave me don't enslave me. It doesn't always happen overnight, but it happens one day at a time as you choose every failure is an opportunity to experience the power of the cross. Every flaw is an, experience, an opportunity to experience the power of the cross. At the cross, the very power of God is available to you so that you can live a life of freedom, a life of consistency, and a life of victory that you would never be able to achieve on your own. So I'll tell you this, as a follower of Christ, I'm not perfect. As a follower of Christ, I don't have to be because I'm believing in someone who is. I have lots of problems I can't solve, but I know someone who can. I have lots of things I can't fix, but I know someone who can. I have lots of things I can't get right or do right, but I know someone who can. Well, how else do you connect the power of the cross to your life? You declare the cross as the center of your life by being baptized. You declare the cross as the center of your life by being baptized. Now, all of us, we have different experiences with this word. Some of you have never heard it before, or some of you, it's like, is that something that's done to babies when they're born? What is baptism? So I want to explain to you very simply from Scripture what God says baptism is. It does involve physical water, and we've got some here today, and I'm told that it is warm. It is heated, okay? But what is baptism and to to demonstrate this I want to talk about my relationship with my wife when we first met we had one of those courtships if you want to use the word where we just both knew right away like this is the person I want to marry we we both we both knew we were done with the dating scene and we were looking for someone to spend our life with we were both looking for another Jesus follower our first date we fell in love and I think about four months later I asked her to marry me about eight months later we were married. Now, by the way, that meant that we had to go through lots of counseling for the first couple of years because we didn't know each other, okay? <laughs> but God can, God can do anything, and, and truly, I mean, it's, it's amazing what he's done in our lives. Here's the point of my story, okay? Did we, have <laughs> Did we have to get married to be in love? No, we were in love before we got married, but our love drove us naturally to get married. Why? Because we both said, I'm exclusively in love with you and I want to be devoted to you for the rest of my life no matter what. And so what we did at our wedding ceremony is we had a physical, a physical ceremony that symbolized and cemented our internal emotional love for each other. 
And it's similar in your relationship with God. You, you, many of you in here, you've chosen to follow Christ. You are choosing that he's going to be your leader in life. And baptism today is an opportunity for you to physically and tangibly say, I'm committed to Christ. I'm on Team Jesus. Now, I want to say to those of you in the room who've been baptized before, now my wife and I, whenever we go to a wedding, especially if it's a young couple and they're really head over heels, it's such a fun thing to go to weddings together. Because when we do, we remember sentimentally all the emotion of the day, and we kind of chuckle at how ignorant we were, etc. And it's just this joyful, joyful thing when we go to a wedding because we remember that day. So for those of you in here who have been baptized as a believer, as we go through scripture to say what is baptism, and in a moment as we celebrate that and give the opportunity for new believers to do that, I want you to just kind of sit in the moment and let it be a little bit sentimental and say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm on your team. Thank you for my day when I was baptized. For those of you who haven't yet been, I want you to know from scripture what it is. So the first question is who gets baptized? And the answer is very simple, people who are believing in Jesus. Baptism is for people who are believing in Jesus. And remember, it's celebrating the power of the cross, claiming the power of the cross for your life. Mark chapter 16 puts it this way, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now this condemnation, what it means is uh, uh, we talked earlier, before Christ, we're dead in our sins. And what scripture teaches is that all of humanity has been separated from God by sin. And so Jesus said in John chapter three, if you don't believe in me, you're already condemned. In other words, you're already, if you're apart from Christ, you are headed to an eternity without God. And in this life, you don't have God's power to make right choices. But the moment you believe in Christ, you're reconnected to God and you're no longer headed to an eternity that's separated from God. You're now headed to an eternity with God and you now have God's power for your life every day. And so Mark 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This begins in the heart. This is about the heart. And in baptism, we show physically what's going on in our heart. What else is baptism? What is baptism? Well, the first thing it is, is a sign of repentance. P.S., I'm not teaching a seminary course here, so I'm not going to cover every nuance and detail of baptism, but it is a sign of repentance. What does the word repent mean? The word repent is an old military term. When an army was marching in one direction, the commander would shout out the Greek word for repent, and the whole army would do a 180, and they would go the other direction. That's what repent means. So where we were walking, marching, running, struggling, whatever, in the old way of life, repent means I turn from that old way of lust, that old way of anger, that old way where really I was the God of my life and I was worshiping myself and I was just doing whatever felt good and didn't really think of others. I turn from that and I turn to the cross. And as I look at the cross, it gives me the power to walk in a new life. Baptism is a picture of that 180 of repenting. And scripture puts it this way in Matthew 3, verse 6. It says, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It, you see the turn in that text? They're turning away from their sins. They're turning to God's way of life. Acts 22, verse 16 says this. 
Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, is it the warm water over here that washes your sins away? No, it's the power of the cross. It's what Jesus did on the cross. But when you're baptized, you're, you're showing publicly, I have received that for myself. What else is baptism? Well, it's publicly picking your team and celebrating your new identity. Baptism is in the spiritual realm. You're putting on a big Team Jesus jersey. You're saying, this is who I am. And you know what? The day is coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. All the billions of people who've lived all throughout human history will someday be resurrected and will gather around and Jesus will be the pinnacle of the universe and everyone will be worshiping him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there's going to be billions of people who heard the message who are going to say, I wish I had chosen him then. And baptism is where you publicly say, hey, in my heart, I've picked Team Jesus. And right now in this life, when it's not popular, when people don't believe, when it takes faith, I'm choosing Team Jesus. Ephesians 4 puts it this way, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism. What is baptism next is my favorite one. It's a picture of death to sin and resurrection to new life. Baptism is a picture of death to sin and resurrection to new life. Now, there's no magic words that, that someone has to say when they baptize you. Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to live in the new life. One of my favorite things to say when I get to baptize is buried as a picture of his death and raised as a picture of his resurrection. Because when you go down under that water for just a moment, when you go down under that water, it is a picture of Jesus physically dying so that you don't have to eternally die. It's a picture of him physically taking your punishment and he dies and with his power he's raised to life and you come up out of that water and you're dripping and you have a new life, you have a new identity, you have a new future, and you're no longer defined by your past or your mistakes or your worst moments in life. Colossians 2 says this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. It's God who does the work, and it's your faith that connects you to the work, and in baptism, you show that you believe. Well, when should you get baptized? Very simply, when you have claimed Christ as your Savior and when you've chosen to live for Him. When you've claimed Christ as your Savior and when you've chosen to live for Him. Now, both of these words, if you think about it, claimed and chosen, have to do with your will. And we learn this as parents Every human God has created with their own will. And two-year-olds at the age of two, they start to demonstrate this, that they have their own will. We're saying walk into the store. They're saying I'm not going to get out of my car seat. <laughs> We're saying sit and eat your dinner. They're saying, where did they go? They're not in their seat. Can't wait for the day when we can all just sit around the table <laughs> and sit. It's coming one of these days, okay? You, as a human being created in the image of God, you have a will that nobody else can control. 
Only you can choose what to do with your will. In baptism is you saying, I am claiming Christ. Not my parents, not my pastor, not my spouse. I'm claiming Christ. And I'm choosing to live for him. Now, in a room this size, there's many who someone else baptized you when you were a baby or when you were a child. And that's a, that's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful start. It's a beautiful dedication of your life to God. Everyone in the Bible who's baptized is old enough to be making that decision for themselves. So where I want to encourage you is if you're here and someone else baptized you when you were a kid or a baby or an infant and it wasn't your choice, I want to encourage you today, we'll give you the opportunity to choose for yourself, claim for yourself Christ is your Savior, choose for yourself. And, and you know what? Almost every time I teach on this, I'll have, in fact, last night we had a couple, they were probably both in their 70s or at least their late 60s, really sweet couple. Clearly they loved God. They've been following him for decades, but they'd never been taught this. And they had both been sprinkled as infants in, in a church that means well when it does that. And we don't judge other Christians, okay? But they had never been taught that in the New Testament, it's a believer's baptism. And so they, they stepped out and I got to pray with the wife. She was nervous to, to get in there at her age. And I just said, hey, we're all here for you. We're all cheering you on. And so I want to encourage you today. I know I'm rocking some of your worlds, okay? If you have never stepped out into a believer's baptism to say, hey, this is what I choose, you can do that today. Now, something else I want to say about these words that you're choosing, Team Jesus, is this. In a minute, we're going to have baptisms, and it is a celebration, okay? We'll have some worship music playing, but we're all going to be clapping and cheering and just hooting and hollering for those who get baptized. Now, here's what I want to say. If in a room of everyone in this room is going to say, if you, if you step forward to get baptized, everyone in this room is going to say, awesome, that's the best choice you could make with your life, okay? Now, here's the gut check. If you don't have the courage to step out and say, I'm a Jesus follower in a room full of people who almost all of us say that is the best thing you could ever do. If you don't have the courage to step out and be identified with Jesus here, then gut check how sincere is your faith to follow Jesus out in a world where most people will mock you for it or some people. Okay, and so, so this is, again, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to control you. My job is to teach you the word of God. And he says, if you believe, be baptized. That's the next step. And he says, well, you have the opportunity today. You know, a lot of people in the New Testament, they'd get baptized. They'd do it out at a river. And every one of their pagan neighbors would immediately know that's a Christian. And it was a time when Christians were persecuted and they were often killed. And here we are at a time where we get to have our own building and it's warm and it's heated and the water's warm and we all get to cheer each other on and say, way to go for picking Team Jesus. But the question is, if you don't have the courage to, or maybe not the courage, the obedience and faith to follow him here, then examine how sincere is my faith to really follow him in my whole life. Acts chapter eight tells this story. Then Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. This is a story where a guy from Ethiopia is reading the Old Testament about the Messiah and God sends a Christian Philip to go to him and explain Jesus is the Messiah. And this 
Ethiopian. He was called a eunuch because of his job working for a king or queen in Ethiopia. He decides to believe in Jesus. And here's what happens. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? In other words, the eunuch had seen the Christian movement. He saw what was going on. And he knew that the normal thing was when a person places their faith in Christ, they get baptized. So as he's literally riding in a chariot with Philip and Philip's explaining from him, here's how you believe in Jesus. He sees a pond or a lake, doesn't say what it was. And he says, hey, stop the chariot. I've seen other people get baptized when they do this. Can I get baptized? And so Philip answers the question in verse 37. Philip says, if you believe with your heart, then absolutely let's do it. Remember, this is about believing in your heart. You don't get baptized as some work of salvation that earns your favor with God. You're not earning your salvation. You're not buying off God's favor. What you're doing is you're expressing that you believe in your heart. And then the eunuch answers. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God of God. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So question, have you been baptized? And if not, we want to give you that opportunity today. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be a celebration. Like I said, in a minute after I pray, I'll hop down here and I'll go over to this door. I want to be there to greet you if God is making this movement in your heart today, I want to give you a big hug. I want to pray with you just like I got to do with so many people last night. Uh, we want you to know logistically, we have all the layers of clothes available for you, okay? So uh, when you go back there, you can change into every layer of clothes, clothing necessary. And uh, we got a black t-shirt for you that you get to keep and the water's warm. And then afterwards, we've got towels, we've got hair dryers. You can, you know, dry off and put your put your normal clothes back on. So don't let the logistics get in the way. Don't let fear of people get in the way. I'm not gonna dress it up. I'm not gonna try and do anything emotional here. This is just your chance to decide, am I a Jesus follower or not? And I've taught you the word of God. The cross is the power to do the right thing consistently. Now in your will, you get to choose, am I gonna make the cross the center of my life or not? So let me pray that for you and then we'll give you that chance, okay? Actually, you know what? Why don't we stand up? Because in a room this size, some of you already know that's me. And so as I'm praying, everyone shuffle forward in your seat so that people can walk out behind you. And as I'm praying, if you know God's working in my heart, I need to make this choice today. As I'm praying, you can start making your way right over. You guys see the door I'm pointing to? Uh, right over there. I will be there. A whole team is there to help you, but I want to be there to hug you and welcome you into that. And then... As these baptisms are going, we're just going to be clapping and celebrating. But let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you for the power of the cross. Lord, we're not ashamed of it. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord, you have brought us here today to help us believe. Some of us have believed for decades, but there's some people in this room who've just been believing for a few minutes. And today is their day of salvation. And Lord, you are calling them to you. And they've got a choice to make right now. So even now as I'm praying, if God's working in your heart, you want to make Christ the center of your life. You want his power over sin. 
You want his power over failure. You want his power over death. You want eternal life and new life and a new identity. Make your way over to that door even now. Lord, we pray that you will work in the hearts in this room. We praise you. I thank you, Lord, for the families I met last night who said we've been coming here for three weeks or we've been coming for just two weeks and God is changing us. Lord, you are at work. You are alive. You are raising marriages from the dead. You are raising dead parts of us to do what's right. You're setting the captives free. Lord, we celebrate that today. And and Father, I know there's some in here, they've known you, they've walked with you for 40 years, but they've never had a believer's baptism. Give them that courage today to say, it's a little out of order, but I just want to say I'm on team Jesus. God, we celebrate your power. And Lord, we pray that you will help us one day at a time when we stumble and fall like little toddlers, help us to not stay on the ground. Help us to not wallow in lust, to not wallow in alcohol, to not wallow in greed, to not wallow in pride. It's normal for us to fall, but God, we've got a good dad in you. Help us to lift our arms to you. Help us to cry out to you. Pick us up. Strengthen our spiritual leg muscles that we would walk in newness of life, that we would claim the power of the cross for every failure, for every flaw, for every mistake, for every label that people would put on us. We are new sons and daughters of the King and we celebrate it now in your name. We pray all of this, Jesus. Amen.